Happy almost Halloween, everybody. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this is Tough Like a Girl, where we take a look at and review graphic novels and trade compilations with female protagonists. And you must feel very good about this one, because you've been bugging me about, about doing this one since very early in the life of this podcast. It's only because I was reading it with my kids, and I was like, I might as well do one that I've already read. So. Oh, so, yeah. It's all about making your life a little easier. Perhaps. <laughs> well, so today we are going to talk about the graphic novel adaptation of Coraline. And that description should probably let people in as to why I kind of resisted this one for a while, which is that it did not originate in graphic novel form. Coraline was, of course, originally a novel, you know, good old vanilla classic novel. But by, by <laughs> yeah, it's super vanilla. <laughs> we'll get it's there. Typical. We'll get there. Um, uh, written by Neil Gaiman, um, which I have never read. I oh, ha- you haven't read the novel. I have not read oh, the novel. Oh, I didn't realize that. I have seen the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and also shared it with my daughter, who rather likes it as well. And, but the reason I resisted this was because it is an adaptation. It's the first time we've ever done an adaptation on here. But given its appropriateness for the time of year, mm-hmm. I relented and, and we've gone ahead and done it. Oh, that was so kind of you. Yes. So, so giving. <laughs> You're welcome. So this, um, obviously, again, the original novel written by Neil Gaiman, and this is both adapted and illustrated by P. Craig Russell, um, who is not uh, a writer or an artist that I am familiar with. It also has coloring by Laverne uh, Kinzerski, apologies for butchering that, and lettering by Todd Klein. So... Russell has also done some of the illustrations um, on the graveyard book version of um, Neil Gaiman's graphic novel. So. Oh, okay. So, I, would, that have, been, would that have been before or after this? After, right? I think after. Um, and that more, the Graveyard Book, I haven't read volume two of that in terms of the graphic novel. I actually haven't read that novel. Um, but it is more, there's a mix of artists on that, whereas this was purely Russell. Yeah. So... so For anyone who isn't aware, didn't read the novel, hasn't read this, hasn't seen the movie, what is wrong with you? But for those of... Oh, saucy. For those of you in the audience that I've now offended, um, the plot starts out... It's not an atypical sort of mid-middle A... Not middle, middle grade um, fantasy setup where a... A young girl named uh, Coraline and her family move into a house. It's an old house. It's a little creepy. She finds a door that appears to go to nowhere. But then later on, it does go somewhere. And she finds herself in this sort of slightly altered mirror version of her actual house, which is presided over by what is called her other mother, who looks pretty similar to her normal mother, uh, except she has black buttons for eyes, as does almost everything else. Every human. 
every yes, every human. There are mm-hmm. there are animals in that, that do world. that yeah. do not have that. But yes, every other human she encounters there, who again is a parallel of someone from her actual home, mm-hmm. also has has button eyes, and it. And like I said, even though the basic setup of, oh, I found a door. Oh, it takes me to this other place. It sounds a little Narnia. This is on the darker side, Mm -hmm. which is why we're doing it for October. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll get into some of the specifics of what go on. But again, like on paper laying out the general structure, it's not all that unique on a plot progression line. Mm -hmm. She goes to this place. It seems nicer. She learns more. It becomes a bit more sinister. She has to escape. Mm-hmm. It's plot progression A to B to C is not that unusual, but it's the flavor of it. It's the feel of it. Mm-hmm. It's I'm going to assume, and maybe you can back up. I'm going to assume that a fair amount of the text is as it appeared in the novel. I think it, so. Yeah. It had the Neil Gaiman flavor, particularly when it came to metaphors and mm-hmm. they're lovely metaphors. In it, this yeah, um, and the tone. The tone is definitely very Gaiman. It's actually as a novel, Coraline is my favorite Neil Gaiman book. Um, but I really do like this adaptation as well. I think it it stayed true to that tone and flavor. Um, and I think, do you mind if I just get into stuff? I'm going to launch in. Well, the one other thing I'll say before we launch okay. into it, and I guess that's your, that's your spoiler warning before we get into things. Um, the one other thing I'll point out is if you are like me and you have seen the movie, but never read the book, the visual style of that's this graphic novel yeah. is very different from the film. The film was very much in the style of its director, whose name I have suddenly lost, but he was the director of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. Henry Selleck. There we go. Mm-hmm. It's very much in his visual style, whereas this graphic novel is very much doing its own thing. Mm-hmm. So while they are both telling the same story, visually, very, very different. I thought Burton didn't do Nightmare Before Christmas? Nope. He came up with a story. He produced it. He did not direct it. He oh, was busy. I did not know that. Huh. Most people don't. Huh. Cool. Um, so yeah, that's what I was going to say. The visual style is very different. Um, you know, uh, uh, Coraline also reminds me a lot of Paranorman in terms of visual style a little bit. Well, that's, the, that's sort of the, with the movie, that's kind the of the, that's, that's the Leica house style. Cause it's the same, um, production stop motion animation company. And they also yeah, did yeah. Kubo and the Two Strings. What I will say is the graphic novel, broadly speaking, Goes for a much more realistic yes. look, whereas the film was very stylized, even in the quote-unquote real world. Yep. Yes, I would agree. And I kind of missed Terry Hatcher's voice too. Like in mm. in as I was reading this, I like I was hearing her voice whenever I heard the other mother. That like sickly sweet version she does. She's great as the other mother. She's good as Coraline's mother too, but she is. Oh, she's there's just. Something that unnerves you and creeps up your spine about her voice as the other mother in Coraline. So it's definitely worth a watch. But let's get back to this. Yes. So I do want to hear your opinion because I know you were very reluctant to read it at first. And Well, I was, but mostly because of, of not because I wasn't interested in reading it, but mostly because I was sort of thinking, does this really fit our remit, like being an adaptation? Um, I did quite enjoy it. 
-hmm. It was, again, it sort of took me uh, a couple segments to sort of get out of the mindset of, to stop comparing it to the film. Mm -hmm. um, because the film also structurally does a couple of its own things. It introduces a character that's not in the novel and isn't in this mm -hmm. um, and does a few other things. There's one point of comparison I will make later, mm -hmm. but I, I kind of need to to make the point I'm going to make there, but I'll save that. But reading this, it was it was really interesting. What what, what made this worth reading, even though I've seen the movie, um, is getting to get Gaiman's text mm -hmm. in with the visuals. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, we, this is something I've mentioned in other stuff that I've done, like when I, on the Council of Geeks uh, YouTube channel, when I talked about why I don't think adaptations of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy it work as well as the novels, even though it was originally a, a radio play, is that so much of what makes it unique is the author's voice, mm -hmm. the way in which things are described, much more so than what the things being described are. Yeah. And when you do a movie, that's the main thing you lose. Mm -hmm. you, you can just show what the author was describing, but you can't quite bring about the unique word choice that they use to describe it, which with good authors, which I feel Gaiman is, mm -hmm. is a major part of why their stuff works. Mm -hmm. So it was really nice for me to get that injected into this and have a, have a bit of a new experience, even though I've seen this story visualized before, mm -hmm. by having that added in and blended in with it. There is a lot of narration to it, but it works really well, I think. And... I what visually what works for me is the monsters and like anything that's creepy in this he does really well Russell does really well and just the blurriness to the world at times when it's disintegrating I also think he does that really well um like there were there were some really interesting parts towards the end when the house is kind of losing its integrity where, like, the, the drawing of it looks almost like a scribble, but then it's from a slightly different angle as Coraline is walking up these stairs and you realize, oh, it's not just a messy drawing. He's, like, actually saying that the stairs are these twisted scribble thing that she has to actually find a way to physically interact with. That was really cool to see. And actually, bring it back to the adaptation, because having skimmed or flipped through or seen some other either comics uh, or graphic novels that are adapted from texts... Mm -hmm. This did a, even though this leans on the text, uh, let me back up. If I, if this wasn't an adaptation, I would say it leans too heavily on text over visuals. Mm -hmm. But knowing that it's an adaptation and having read many other adaptations that lean way more heavily on the text to the mm -hmm. point that the visuals don't even tell a story unless you're reading the text and it's just mm -hmm. huge blocks of it and this doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I do think you have to grade it on a slightly different um, curve than mm -hmm. if you were just looking at it as a graphic novel being the original form. Because if, if this was written to be a graphic novel first, there are things I would take issue with that I'm not going to take issue with because I know it's an adaptation. Mm -hmm. and, and again, for me, having the text was what made it worth it, given that I'd already seen the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. So, were there any particular moments that you wanted to highlight? I mean, you mentioned some of the monsters. The, like, when the... The rats are creepy. The rats are creepy. I mean, I'm... 
I will always give rats the benefit of the doubt because I've had pet rats and I think they're cute. But yeah, they were creepy. I mean, he just, uh, like, both the author and Neil Gaiman and this illustrator, Russell, understand that, you know, to put the right tropes in. Yes. Like, and the button eyes are always creepy. I think they're a little creepier in the movie, honestly. Um, just the way they're stylized, but... There's something creepy about button eyes. The other mother is still really sinister. Um, and, yeah. Well, like, in terms of creepy visuals, when the other father kind Always. of kind of breaks down. Oh, yeah. Like, physically breaks down. That's, that's unpleasant to yeah. look at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, like... I said it was gonna, I was going to make one comparison to the movie. I'm actually I lied. I'm going to make two. That's fine. Because there were two things that the movie did that are different from this, and I'm going to make the presumption that they're the way they are in this because that's more how the novel did it. Mm-hmm. So this is two points that I think the film streamlined. Mm-hmm. One, it threw me off a little bit in the book that the other mother is a little more unsettling to look at right off the bat. Because mm-hmm. she is, she's a bit too pale. She's got these pointed nails. Yeah. She's already looking. She's already looking like something you really shouldn't trust. Whereas I liked in the movie the first time Coraline sees her, she looks exactly like her mother, except for the eyes. But as the story progresses, she looks less and less and less and less mm-hmm. like her actual mother. Mm-hmm. I liked that progression over time. Mm-hmm. Whereas this. She's she's uh, I, I don't think it works quite as well for her to be that visually unsettling immediately. Mm-hmm. It makes it a little weirder that Coraline doesn't for, forgive the phrase smell a rat mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I miss kind of spider mom scene that that actually terrified a lot of my students. That scene where she turns into the spider, the other mother and is uh, like chasing Coraline. Which is in the movie cuz the movie went for yeah, a spider movie. motif whereas that's not really in it's the It's present but it's not as like overtly stated. It's it's sort of metaphorical in this yeah. whereas it was explicit in the film. The one other thing is the there's sort of the coda set piece with the other mother's hand which I honestly don't love either way because I think the thing climaxes so well um, with her just escaping and mm-hmm. shutting the other mother off mm-hmm. that I don't think dealing with the other mother's hand adds a lot or tells us anything we didn't already know. Like, yes, Coraline, especially more so in the book, in the movie, the way that's dealt with, I actually didn't, I liked even less. But the reason I'm comparing it positively to the movie is the movie rode that dealing with that hand as working off the momentum of the initial climax mm-hmm. whereas this has its climax settles and then goes oh but wait there's this mm-hmm. but the wait there's this doesn't tell us anything new Coraline does something very clever to deal with the hand but she had already demonstrated being clever and brave yeah before so it didn't it didn't add anything and it felt more drawn out here Mm-hmm. Um, even though the reason I didn't like it in the movie is because it involved the completely unnecessary added character who, now having read this, like, I really don't know why he was stuck into the movie. I can't even remember his name. Wybie. Wybie. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, oh, YB wasn't in here, here, and I was like, oh, YB isn't really necessary. No, now. you don't need him. I don't know why the movie. I'm mean, not that he was even a bad character because he wasn't. I just don't know why they felt I mean, the, the need cat to add him. Is helpful enough. Like, yeah. she doesn't really need another, like, sidekick type. Yeah. Well, thing. okay. Speaking of voices, I couldn't read the cat without hearing Keith David's voice because, oh God, Keith David's voice. Oh, it's lovely. Oh man. Are you okay? I'm, ju I'm just, I'm just gonna have a moment with that. that. That's fine. It's, it's worthy. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. We, we definitely had some uh, voices going on while we were reading this book. <laughs> it sounds a little strange, but if you know, if you know the movie version, which everyone, again, I, I agree, people should definitely check it out. Um, Re regardless, from those voices alone, those two voices alone, like yes. that voice work is from both Terry Hatcher and Keith David are just top-notch and i would say if you haven't checked out check out the movie regardless of age i mean it's aimed at the same age as the book which is like middle grade kind of range mm -hmm. but like the the movie definitely is is a uh, if you like anything spooky and it's not part of your october rotation mm -hmm. like get on that <laughs> yeah i i definitely need to add it to my like october rotation now that i think about it i'm like i kind of miss Coraline. But I, I feel bad because we kind of we've gone back and forth between this and the movie. I'm trying to think if there's anything else in particular I want to highlight from the uh, from this this adaptation. Yeah. Um, this... I like the cat's involvement, even though it doesn't have Keith. <laughs> I mean, we we can't always project Keith David's voice. There's actually there's some really interesting, and they're not overdone, but there are there's the occasional Dutch angle to the art. Which I like, especially because it's not always at at harsh moments. There's like her going into her bedroom and her opening the door. It's just at this skewed Dutch angle. Or there's one, you know, the, of uh, an image of her and the cat from inside a window again at this sort of skewed Dutch angle. And there's some really interesting, just little I tilts it, of the camera that it do. It adds to the weirdness of the other world. It, you know, it really does. I also think um, this book does foreshadowing well and I guess maybe that's more gaming but the whole like you know how the um her neighbors her elderly neighbors warn her about the well mm -hmm. in the very beginning of the book and then it shows up and you know they give her the stone and it's just it's a well-crafted story it even is. though it's not you know the, the points it hits again are not surprising it's what it's doing is well done yeah. Again, if you were to actually plot this thing out, it's not the most unique thing in the world, but it's it's what makes it worth it is the flavor and the feel and the vibe and the metaphors. Oh my gosh. There's there's some really good just mm -hmm. it's there's some just flat out good writing in it this thing. Really um just in terms of talking about bravery too. It really understands what it is like it's not that you're not afraid it's that you're afraid and you keep going and you push on and you make the choice you know and Coraline learning that it's it is in a way a good coming of age story and, and, and there's not enough of those told about girls so it's interesting you make this distinction because it's funny like towards the end you know she has the affirmation you know I'm brave and she's right but it's it's never I'm not afraid no. It's just, I'm brave. Because of course she's afraid. 
my gosh, it's a terrifying world. Yeah, yeah but she never makes that. And because I can like, I can hear it in my head as almost a chorus of so many, you know, young characters that I'm not afraid of you or I'm not afraid anymore. It's like, no, the point is not not being afraid. The point is doing it anyways. It's pushing through that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that. yeah, and that is very present here. I also like the... The understanding she comes to of her parents. I mean, I was picking on you because she was so like, I'm so bored. There's nothing to do. Very like someone we might know on occasion. It, 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 it might have sounded a little bit like my own kid. <laughs> um, Just a Yeah, tad. but th- by the end, she's like, how interesting this world is, you know, and how enraptured she is by it and how much she loves her own room and even like, her dad's weird healthy pizza. She's like, I ate the whole slice. Well, not the pineapple, but <laughs> she, you know, she's not complaining about it anymore, you know? And so she's just, she's a good protagonist, which I don't always say about a lot of stories. Well, I think it's, she's realistic. It's especially know? tough when you have a protagonist in this age range to not have it be either sappy or having them act more grown up than they should. Yeah, she's not precocious or anything. So. No, she's she's very well realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think I think that's about all I had. Yeah, that's about all I had too. Um my students haven't enjoyed it. They pretty much get their hands on any graphic novel and they like creepy things and this has been a pretty big hit. Um, with Some them. of your students have been super creeped by this, though, haven't they? Um, or was it more the movie? It was more the movie, but they were, like, some of the, like, illustrations are, like, that's a pretty creepy illustration. I think of the other father when he is kind of deteriorating. Oh, man. Um, yeah. I think the rats, for a couple of them, were a little unnerving. Um, but it's been it's been pretty well met in general, so... All right. So we're going to pause there and we're going to do some listener feedback, though not all of it. And I will uh, also issue a minor apology. So we'll get to that (laughs) in a minute. It's midnight, the podcasting hour. From fetid swamps to creepy castles, the podcasting hour is your home for horror on the Fire and Water Network. Join me, PJ Frightful, on this quarterly anthology podcast that gazes into the mysterious and terrifying shadows of DC Comics. The moon is full and the bell tolls for midnight, the podcasting hour. And we're back. So... (laughs) couple of things um allow me to start by apologizing for the fact that the episode previous to this did not come out in september when it was supposed to literally all that happened was i got buried in stuff like a bunch of stuff between my day job and between september being a cavalcade of birthdays for important people in my life and (laughs) And, you know, managing the channel, like, I just, I just forgot. I literally flat out forgot to get it scheduled to upload. So that's why it came out only a couple of weeks ago. 
And so now dealing with feedback, we will deal with feedback from two episodes ago, because <laughs> at the time of recording this episode, the Shiro one hasn't actually gone up yet. <laughs> so we can't do feedback from that. So hopefully in November, <laughs> we will catch up on feedback and be current again. I am sorry. So for this, um, we are looking at feedback from episode 34, where we talked about smile. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we have a couple pieces of feedback from some of our regular feedbackers, which is wonderfully appreciated. Yay! Uh, do you care which one I'll do you the take? first one. Okay. Okay. So, Brian Linton says, Huzzah! A chance to share my own orthodontic story, which we did a quite a bit. There was and that. That is, that is what Smile affords us, is a chance to commiserate about orthodontia. I saw an orthodontist from the age of seven all the way through high school due to an overbite and a narrow jaw. I went through two hyraxes, braces, retainers, and a few other orthodontic appliances that I'm probably forgetting. Both of my hyraxes were bar straight across my mouth, and I remember constantly getting food stuck under the bar. By the end of high school, I was left with an underbite and a narrow jaw. <laughs> Oi. At that point, my orthodontist gave up. He told me to wait until I stopped growing and then have jaw surgery. Of course, by the time I stopped growing, I was no longer under my parents' insurance. Since getting dental insurance of my own, I haven't bothered to have the surgery done because I've just gotten used to the underbite. Maybe I'll look into it someday. Fortunately, our dentist doesn't think our daughter will need braces, but she still has a few permanent molars to come in. If she does end up needing them, then I definitely recommend this book to her. Looking forward to the next episode, as always. And he also had an addendum. He added, breaking news, my daughter read both Smile and Sisters while sleeping over at a friend's house last Saturday night. She gave both books an enthusiastic thumbs up. So we'll take that as a recommendation to come back to that at some point in the future. I think there is an add-on to his. Well, Tim Price just said woohoo. Okay, well, we need to read a woohoo. Okay, there you go, Tim. <laughs> There's your woohoo. And we also have a longer comment from Tim. This is one of my girl's favorites. Their original copy has been reread so many times it's falling apart. They now have a second copy, which didn't stay in good shape very long. I'm having flashbacks to how badly I took care of my comics when I was their age. Definitely my kids. I don't think my enjoyment is just reflected from theirs. I dig Reina's artistic style, and there's a lot of bits that stand out. The chaotic panels during the earthquake, the visual gag of Reina showing her friends the retainer plus fake teeth that she can pop out, the exaggerated motions of the orthodontist adjusting her braces. I'll hold off on more, but I enjoy so much of her storytelling. Wait, Reina was too old for The Little Mermaid? I saw it in the theater when I was 21. Insert fake outrage here. <laughs> this book taps into something that almost everybody sympathizes with. Orthodontia stories. Mine are boring. Most of my teeth are a little crooked, especially my top canines, which poke a little forward, making fang-like bites into apples. But my family couldn't afford fixing it, so I lived with it. And I did get kicked in the jaw in my 20s in a Taekwondo tournament. Oh, so, I so I wear a bike guard at night to manage jaw pain. And that's why I stopped doing martial arts tournaments back when I took karate. 
<laughs> that does not sound like fun. No. Um, but as, as you may guess, my daughter's inherited those problems. Not getting kicked in the jaw, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a serious <laughs> problem to inherit. <laughs> Uh, one having a few teeth turned almost 90 degrees. So they both went through round one during fourth grade, and the worst started round two for eighth grade. She was so happy to have the braces off before starting high school this month. Now she's got the retainer and the purple glitter one just arrived, so that's fun. Yay. I had a pink glitter one, I think. Mine is not glittery, but it's, it is pink. Um... During round one, they both had a palate expander to widen their upper mouth with the crank like you described. Oh, man, that was the worst. But they were too young to do it themselves, so lucky me got to do it. But I'm lucky my girls are such good sports and didn't experience major discomfort. I'm glad my punchers enjoyed this book. If you want more about Reina's family, Sisters Delivers in Spades. But drama is also a favorite. I don't know which I'd lobby for more. It's okay. I'll wait. Till next time. She-Ra? Oh, man, I haven't started season two. Better get cracking. I... Well, you had extra time because I was late getting the episode out. I know. Um, well, and there's a new Reina out. I have. I don't really know what it's about, but we have several copies now, and it is. it was did pretty well at our book fair because it had just been released. Um, it's called Guts, and so, yeah, she's busy again. Go figure. Yes. Um, well, it was interesting with the book fair because they advertised it on the flyer, but before they packed it up and sent to us, I don't think it had quite been released. So I got to do the frantic call of, you need to rush order this now. They're going to be asking about it. And we sold, I think, at least six copies. So I feel justified in that. So we have one more bit of business to add. Because as folks who listen to other network shows, which is probably most of our audience, are aware, the Fire and Water Network has launched a Patreon. And you, so you can support the network and help us cover the costs of putting out nearly a podcast a day um, by going over to the Patreon page and you can search Fire and Water Network. You'll find it right on there. And one of the support levels does grant you a shout out on the podcast of your choice. And we have a supporter who wished to be shouted out on this podcast. Oh, nice. So we would like to give our special thanks to Carolyn, who has chosen to lend her support to this podcast specifically, but of course her funds help support the entire network, us included. So thank you very much. And the rest, of, the rest of you can be like Carolyn and get shouted out. Yeah, go Carolyn. So go, go check it out, and uh, I think that will wrap us up for this one. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and a presentation of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Facebook page for Fire and Water Podcast and Council of Geeks. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is composed and performed by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye. <laughs>